Good morning, Watts Bar. Oh, what a weekend. It's always an incredible honor to be with you. And as always, I want to say this is our home church. This is where Janet and I attend when we're home, when we're not traveling. In the coming weeks, we're going to get to be here a little more often because our travel schedule, as we approach Thanksgiving and Christmas, it slows down. But we love this church. I thank God. We brag about Watts Bar everywhere we go. Everywhere we go. I love your pastor. He's my brother, but he's also a dynamic pastor. I love your team. You have an amazing team. I mean that. I want pastor team members. I want all of you to stand. Pastor team members, just stand. I want you to show them right now how much you love, appreciate, care for them. We love you guys. Hey, let's jump in. If you've got your Bible, open it to Acts 1-8. Acts 1-8. You can't get more similar to what's going on in the world right now than looking at what was going on in the minds of the followers Jesus spoke to in Acts 1-8. He's talking to them about end-time things. And they're on pins and needles because they've lived through crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection. They don't know what's next. We read history. They were living it. So they look at Jesus and they're like, is this it? Is this what we've been waiting for? I mean, is history about to climax right now? Are we living in the end times? Is it all about to unfold? And maybe they wanted Jesus to take out a chart. Maybe they wanted him to explain a really complex narrative. Instead, Jesus looked at them and said, Guys, it's not for you to know times or seasons. The Father has established those by his own authority. Then he comes to verse number 8. I think it will come up on the screen. If you'll bring it there, Jesus says, But... Everybody just say that three-letter word out loud and say it with a lot of gusto, but. It's not for you to know times or seasons, but. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. This is really cool. This group of guys Jesus spoke to, they had never traveled more than 30, 40, 50 miles from their own home. They didn't know what God was going to do in Uzbekistan, Tunisia, Africa, Europe. They had no clue as to how the gospel was about to take off. They're all concerned about end times. Is this it? Are you about to restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean... Are we living in that era when Israel is going to come back into its dominance as a world superpower? Are we about to throw off the yoke of Roman oppression? Are we about to put Caesar in the dust? Not for you to know times or seasons. The Father's established those by his own authority. Say it again. You ready? Say it out loud. But... You will receive, and then say it out loud, power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
And notice what comes next. Don't miss it. Don't miss it there on the Sky Bible. And you will, he says, and you will do witnessing. You will have an explosive evangelistic program. Is that what he said? Did he say you will do witnessing? Did he say you will have an explosive evangelistic program? No, he says, don't, don't miss the language. You will be witnesses. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, going to be so fundamentally transformed you're going to be you're going to be unrecognizable to your previous self you're not even going to be aware of it and you're going to be a witness by the way you love your spouse by the way you interact with your kids by the way you do life by the way you do your job people are going to look at you and they're going to see something so definitive about you that they're going to They're going to think, what is it? You will be my witnesses. And then what comes next? He basically outlines the book of Acts. If you want an outline for the book of Acts, Acts 1-8 is the outline. It traces the movement of God from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. That's the outline for the entire book of Acts. Do you notice what he said? You will be my witnesses because you receive what? If there's one word that needs to be associated with the Holy Spirit, it's the word power. And the Greek word is the word dunamis. Sounds similar to an English word that we have that relates to power, dynamite. It literally means explosive power. Guys are feeling inadequate. These guys are feeling afraid. These guys are feeling... We don't have what it takes. I mean, we live through his death, burial, resurrection. We know he's alive, but we still don't think we've got all it takes. If you doubt what I'm saying there, look at John 21. Peter had already went back to fishing. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. no. That's not going to define your life. You will receive dynamic, explosive power. When, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and they start going through the Rolodex of their mind because I think Jesus may have even though what we've got here is written in Greek Jesus is speaking to Hebrew boys so he probably used the Hebrew expression when the Holy Spirit the Rock Elohim comes upon you I remember reading about Spirit of God, rock Elohim, coming upon people. And maybe they started thinking about a dude named Gideon. Gideon is threshing wheat in the wine press. That's not the normal place where you thresh wheat. He was there because he was incredibly fearful and afraid. He's threshing wheat in a wine press when the angel of God shows up and says, Mighty man of valor. Gideon looks around and says, whoa, 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 whoa. I think you got the wrong dude. I am the most irrelevant son of the most irrelevant father in the most irrelevant tribe in all of Israel. No, you are a mighty man of God. And then we read these words. It'll come up on the screen. Judges 6, 34. Then, Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. Amplified reads like this. 
The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with himself. Hold on. It's in your notes. You don't want to miss that. The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with himself. Anybody, I don't watch these kinds of movies. I don't need to perpetuate this kind of fear in my life. But anybody ever watch any of those silly, stupid horror movies where someone gets demon-possessed? Ah! I mean, they start making all kinds of noises. They puke green vomit and all kinds of stupid stuff. And we look at that as a symbol of power. Here's why I don't watch any of those movies. Because none of them end with truth. All of them have the priests fumbling around, tumbling around. Oh, let me find some holy. No, that's not going to work. Let me find. No, that's not going to work. Let me find this. And then before you know it, the priest is, you know, he's laying on a pole. He's been, he, he's been somehow killed by the. Uh, that, that's not true. I wish for once the people of God would become more amazed by the dynamic power of God than we, than we are. The limited power of the evil one. Because here it says. Spirit of God clothed Gideon. Gideon, like this jacket, was clothed with the spirit of God. And when he looked around, he looked like the same man. But he was not the same man because he had been clothed. Here a man had become truly possessed by the Spirit of God. And what happened after that? He went out and with an inferior force of only 300, took down a superior force of thousands. Why? He was a man clothed with the Spirit of God. Here's number two. Coming to their mind. Ruach Halloween. This group of disciples had to think of Samson. Now, we often, when we tell the story of Samson, we focus on the first part of Samson's life or the end part of his life, the strong man who had a big weakness for women, right? What we miss, and by the way, the story of Samson in the book of Judges covers several chapters. We focus on the beginning. We focus on the end. What we miss is evidently between his beginning and end, there were 20 years of faithfulness. 20 years where this dude did the right thing. How did he do the right thing? Look at Judges. Judges chapter uh, 14. It says this, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson. If you're reading that in the Tanakh, that's the Hebrew edition of the Jewish Bible. Ben, come up and help me if you would. Don't be violent. You're going to represent the Holy Spirit. Here's the way the Tanakh reads. Ben represents the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord gripped Samson. Go ahead. What would it be like to live all of your life gripped by the Spirit of God? What would it be like to live every moment under the grip of God? Just think of this. Because Samson was gripped by the Spirit of God, because Samson had placed his life in the hands of God, he walked out and 
tore a line apart with his bare hands. Because he'd been gripped by the Spirit of God, Samson put the gates of the city of Gaza on his shoulders, carried them 38 miles up the side of a mountain. He was under the grip of God. Because he was gripped by the Spirit of God, Samson took his own inferior hands and pushed down the pillars of the temple of Dagon. Why? Because he was gripped by the Spirit of God. What would it be like if you were gripped by the Spirit of God? That's what comes to their mind. Stand right over there. My man, I can't preach the whole sermon gripped by Ben. I want to be gripped by God. But they're thinking, you'll receive power when Ruach Halloween comes upon you. They think of Gideon. They think of Samson. They've got to think of David. Man, I love the story of David. Another Sam shows up at the home of Jesse, and this Sam is the prophet Samuel, and says, hey, I, I need you to bring your sons front and center. Doesn't give him the scoop of what's going on. And Jesse lines up his sons, and Sam looks at the first one and thinks, oh, this has got to be the dude, because the dude is a specimen of manhood. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not the one. You need to change your tune, Samuel. I don't see things the way you see things. You look on the outside, I look on the inside. Ask Jess, has he got another one? Ha haven't you got another son? Here's my, here's my question. Why wasn't David included in the first lineup? You know what some scholars say, not all scholars? Anybody ever read the Psalms where David, writing one of the Psalms, writes this, in iniquity my mother conceived me? Do you know what a lot of scholars believe? A lot of scholars believe the reason David didn't make the lineup was because David was the illegitimate son of Jesse. He, he was the mistake you don't bring out at the party. This is why when he shows up in chapter 17 to bring cheese and bread to the army. And he says, who is that uncircumcised Philistine? This is why his brother says, I know you. Why could you leave those few sheep, your dad? He doesn't ever refer to him as his brother. Sam says, if you got another one, oh yeah, I've, I've got one he's keeping Daddy's sheep, and David walks on the scene, and God says, that's the one. A man after my own heart. And Sam takes a bottle of anointing oil, and I'm not going to do that. That happened to me. Marty, I think, was present on this occasion as well. When a pastor anointed us with oil, he just poured the bottle all over my head. It got on my suit. I wish I could tell you I felt the Spirit of God on that occasion. I didn't. <laughs> I just got mad. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that to Ben. He anointed. For the sake of this illustration, why don't you just take a bit of it and anoint me right there? Since you're Holy Spirit. And yeah, thank you, brother. You ready, Ben? Samuel anointed David. And look at verse 13 of 1 Samuel 16. Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And 
the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And the Tanakh, it reads once more, the Spirit of the Lord gripped him. Do you understand now, leaving chapter 16, we get to 17, he makes it to deliver bread and cheese to his brothers who are in battle. He sees a Philistine threatening. He's been doing this for 40 days. He says, who is that uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of the living God? His brother, his brother just comes up, attempts to intimidate him. He says, oh, I've got to do something. Saul gets word that he's got to do something. He says, try on my armor. He tries it on, says, I can't go with this. You know why? I don't need to be clothed with armor. I'm gripped with the Spirit of God. Just let me at him. Let me take him off. If I got one chance, I'll take that thing down. And with a sling and a stone, he takes down a superior opponent. Why? He was gripped with the Spirit of God. Everybody give Ben a big hand. Thank you, Ben. Don't, 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 don't miss this in verse 13. There's a little word there that's really critical. Samuel anointed David with a flask of oil. Anointed David with a... See, this is what's going on in the minds of those disciples who hear Acts 1.8. And by the way, I could give you other examples. These are just three primary examples. Are you, are you saying that it's your, like anointing us? You're getting it. Never forget in John 20 when he meets with him after his resurrection. What did Jesus do? You talk about an anointing service. Hey, don't try to duplicate Jesus. He's constantly doing things just to throw you off your game. Because in John 20, what does he do? He meets with him. They're still fearful. They've seen the resurrected Christ and they're still afraid. But, but again, he wants to tie all the strings together. See, Halloween. And you got to do the at the end of that. They know it means breath of God, wind of God, spirit of God. So in John 20, what does he do? He wants them to know they're anointed. So he breathes on them and says, receive. And then in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Ruach Halloween comes upon you. And they're thinking, oh, I think we're getting it. He's anointed us. Anybody know what anointing means in the Bible? It literally means to be set apart, consecrated for a particular mission. There's, there's a great, this is going to be old school. It's going to bypass over many of you because, you know, I'm older these days. Didn't say I'm old. I said I'm older, more mature. But in 1980, there was a big movie that came out. I don't think I've ever seen the actual movie. 
I think I've just seen replays when we used to do cable television and have TNT, TBS, all those crazy channels that played old movies continuously. But the movie was called The Blues Brothers. Anybody remember The Blues Brothers? 1980, Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, Jake and, uh, Jake and Elwood Blues. And they're, they're driving this really cool car. They're a couple of wannabe blues musicians. And, and they're two escaped convicts. They're two felons on the run from the law. They're trying to raise money for an orphanage. And when somebody asks them what they're, they're doing, they always have this standard answer. Anybody remember it? We're on a what? Say it out loud. Mission from God. We're on a mission from God. And that's the joke of the movie. That two guys who want to be felons could be on a mission from God. And that's the joke of Jesus. That somebody like me, that somebody like you, that somebody with all of our inadequacies, idiosyncrasies, all of our failures, all of our flops could ever have a mission from God. But God looks at us and says, oh, oh, you've misunderstood. This isn't about you. It has never been about you. You see, I love taking in inferior, inadequate material. I love putting a treasure within that. So when people look at the excellency of the power, they don't say, my goodness, what a vessel. They say, oh my goodness, there must be something within that person. The anointing, the spirit of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Ruach Elohim that has lifted them above their ordinariness and made them something incredible. Can I give you one more passage? I'm shortening it for you. I, I had like four more passages, but I'm playing condensed right now. Because I just feel the impetus to get to where we're going more quickly. Some of the greatest chapters on this are John 14 through 16, where Jesus keeps talking about the Holy Spirit. He, he's going to come. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you like an orphan. I'll come to you. And in John 16, 7, we'll go straight there for those doing the notes in the background. John 16, 7, Jesus says this. It's, it's a passage I've been memorizing this year in the Amplified Translation, where Jesus says this, it's to your advantage that I go away. What? How could it ever be to our advantage that you leave? It's to your advantage that I go away because if I don't go away, the helper. And in the Amplified Classic, it reads like this, the helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby. He won't come. But if I go away, I will send him to you, the Holy Spirit, to be in close fellowship with you. Ben, you got to come back and help me one more time. Come on. Ben, it's really cool to be gripped by the Spirit of God. That's great, right? But what he says in John 14, 16, is you'll not only be gripped by the Spirit of God, but you need to know this. The Holy Spirit is with you. He will be in you. The Holy Spirit 
who is the helper, the comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby. He will be in you. And in the Amplified Classic, it says, you'll be, he'll be in close fellowship with you. And that, that leads us to a passage like 2 Corinthians 13, verse number 14, where Paul is praying for the church. And Benny says this, may the amazing grace of the master, the extravagant love of the father, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Are you aware this morning that because of Jesus, God himself, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit has come not just to grip you, not just to be with you, but he has come to live inside you, carrying you from here until you, yea, God, my brother. What difference does he make? Let's bring it to a close. Here's what you've got to realize when you read the New Testament. Everything Jesus did, Jesus did by the power of the Holy Spirit. I've got to say that again. Everything Jesus did, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. One guy wrote a book called Prototype. And the gist of the book was how Jesus was the prototype of what a man possessed by the Spirit of God actually looks like. Here's what one scholar wrote. Jesus was a spirit-drenched man. Jesus did what he did because he was wide open to the spirit, more open to the spirit than any human in history. Jesus completes the work of salvation, death, burial, resurrection. Just before his ascension, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Dynamic power. You'll be my witnesses. All of a sudden, those guys start thinking, oh, we've seen this before. We've seen what happens when Ruach Elohim comes upon God's people. What we've never seen is somebody like Jesus. Because the guys that the Holy Spirit came upon in Old Testament, the stories that we were raised on, at some point they faltered and failed. They blew it big time. But Jesus never blew it. All of a sudden, they started getting a vision for what life could look like when they're filled with the Spirit. They, they realize this. I might be average or afraid, but the Holy Spirit can make me alive and advantageous. I might feel blemished, bitter, boring, bashful, or bewildered, but the Spirit is going to make me bold. I might feel clueless and cowardly, but the Holy Spirit is going to make me courageous and more than a conqueror. I'm game and I'm ready. I might feel desperate, dull, dormant, and dead, but the Holy Spirit's going to make me distinctive and dynamic. I might feel emotionless and exhausted, but the Spirit is going to make me energized, exciting, enthusiastic, and exceptional. I might be feeble, faulty, and feel like a failure, but the Holy Spirit is going to make me fruitful, flourishing, and faithful. I might feel greedy, grasping, and generic, but the Spirit's going to make me generous. He's going to make me giving, graceful. I might feel harsh, hostile, and hypocritical, but the Holy Spirit's going to make me healthy, humble, holy, and happy. I might feel inferior or incompetent, but the Spirit's going to make me invaluable, invincible, and incredible. I might feel jealous or jaded, but the Spirit's going to make me joyful and jam-packed with the fruit of the Spirit. I might feel kaput, klutzy, 
tied up in knots. I couldn't think of another key word. The Holy Spirit is going to make me kind, keen, and be like a king. I might feel lackluster, lazy, and lame, but the Spirit's going to make me a likable leader. I might be moody, mundane, mediocre, or miserable, but the Holy Spirit's going to make me magnetic, magnificent, mature, and motivational. I might feel nervous or needy, but the Spirit's going to make me notable, nourishing, and noteworthy. I might feel ordinary or obscure, but the Holy Spirit's going to make me obedient, outstanding, and original. I might feel painful, pessimistic, powerless, or prejudiced, but the Spirit's going to make me passionate, peaceful, powerful, principled, prosperous, and purposeful. That's a tongue twister. I might feel quarrelsome or questioning, but the Holy Spirit is going to make me qualified, and if you're a lady, He'll make you queen-like. I might feel rebellious or rank and file, but the Holy Spirit is going to make me resilient, reliable, refreshing, radiant, and radical for Christ. I might feel sad, sappy, sassy, or sanctimonious. Well, the Holy Spirit is going to make me steadfast, strong, sincere, and successful. I might feel typical, tired, terrified, or toxic. The Holy Spirit is going to make me thankful, teachable, tenacious, tender, tireless. I might be underrated or uptight, but the Holy Spirit is going to make me upbeat and uplifting to others and usable by God. I might be vindictive, vicious, and a constant victim in this life, but the Holy Spirit is going to make me vital, vivacious, virtuous, and victorious over anything the evil one throws at me. I might be weary, worthless, worrisome, wounded, withdrawn, and just flat out wrong, but the Holy Spirit is going to make me well-balanced, welcoming, whole, wholehearted, and world-class. I might be, why, yellow-bellied and yappy, but the Holy Spirit is going to make me yoked to Christ, yielded to God, young at heart. I might be completely zoned out, but the Holy Spirit is going to make me zealous about life and zealous for Christ. That's because I'm receiving power since the Holy Spirit has come upon me. Now, let me tell you, let me tell you, we're about about to just go into receiving from God. So one day I'm running with my pup. And I love to pray when I run with my pup. I mean it. I, I love it. Me and that dog have so much fun just running. And God starts pouring this Holy Spirit message into me for what I thought was the men's conference. I mean, I'm getting thoughts, 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 thoughts. I'm just open to the Holy Spirit on that run. I moved from praying in English to praying in the spiritual language that God gives us. I am an ugly mess on Shipley Hollow Road. If somebody had passed me, they would have thought that man is crazy. I was being wrecked by the Spirit of God. I would later call Kelly and say, dude, I'm getting a message, but but here's the thing. I, I don't think I can share it because you told me that we're going to have a multi-denominational uh, group at the men's conference, and I don't want to offend any non-denominational people or someone that may not have this thought about the Holy Spirit. He said, oh, you're preaching on Sunday too. You didn't know that? I'm like, I know what God was wrecking me about now. But I'm running, and I'm thinking about the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking about the Elohim Ruach breath of God, the wind of God. 
And the lyrics to a song I hadn't sung probably in two, three years came. Help me with those songs on the lyric board in the back because I'll, I'll mess up the lyrics to that song. I just started singing it out loud on my run. I'm strong, full of life. I'm steadfast, no compromise. I lift my sails to the skies. I'm going to catch the wind. I'm going to catch the wind. Now you can worship like you want to worship. I don't care. But I'm running with that pup and I'm singing this song. I'm strong and full of life. I'm going to catch the wind. Nobody's on Shipley Hollow Road. Nobody's out there. It's like once every blue moon, a car will pass me. So when I get to, I'm going to catch the wind, I just spread out my wings, baby. I'm running, and I'm catching the wind. And I'm singing in tongues. I'm speaking in tongues. I'm shouting out, God, bring up the, bring, bring up the chorus for me. Your faithfulness will never let me down. I'm confident. I'll see your goodness now. I know you hear my heart. I'm singing out. There's nothing that can stop your goodness now. God gave me a picture that day of what's going to happen right now. Sheridan, you ready? Bring down those lights. You ready? She's going to start singing. We're going to stand. Are you ready to sing? Come on, stand.